All right. Good morning, church. All right. This morning we're going to be in John chapter 5. We're going to be starting in verse 18. With everything that's going on in the world, uh, Israel, but not specifically Israel, um, the huge rise in anti-Semitism globally, but however, I don't know if you heard the stats, they're very horrifying. Um, In the United States this year, anti-Semitism has risen 4,000%. 2022 was the the first year where we had, uh, how would you phrase it, the most anti-Semitism in the United States on record was 2022. And then this year, it's risen over that 4,000% since uh, Hamas invaded or attacked Israel. Um, It's unprecedented. And I don't know if you've been seeing it on the news, but across college campuses across the United States, they're burning Israeli flags. They're holding up signs that's calling for the extermination of the Jews. They're marking businesses with uh, the Jewish symbols, just like they did you know, the Jewish star, just back like they did back during the World War II days. They're doing that here in the United States. And, but they're not just doing it here in the United States. They're doing it globally. They're doing it. I don't know if you saw the, uh, the uh, per, what do you call it, rally, parade in England, in London. Uh, it was a pro-Hamas gathering. It was a pro-Hamas rally, and hundreds of thousands of people turned out to support Hamas. It's, it's unprecedented. It's, it's ridiculous. It's demonic is what it is. But so with all that going on in the world, with all this demonic hate that's walking the streets, as it were, globally, it reminds you, it should remind you of what it says in Ephesians chapter 6 that says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That just reminds you where it's coming from. It's satanic. Right? The Hamas are satanic. The attacks on Israel are satanic. Listen, Hamas doesn't want a two-state solution. You know, I don't want to get into the politics of everything. You know, this isn't going to be a teaching this morning on whether or not Palestine is actually a nation because it's not. But they don't want a ceasefire. They don't want peace. They don't want to, you know, they don't want that two-state solution. They've been offered it five times and they've turned it down each time. What do they want? What does the Hamas want? They want to annihilate the Jews. That's what the Hamas wants to do. That's all they want to do. So it's satanic. And I say it's satanic because Satan, as cunning as he is, what he does, and you've heard this illustration before, but what he does is he goes around to the back of the house and he starts a fire. Then he comes back around to the front of the house and he sells you a fire extinguisher. All right? And this is what he's going to do. If you want to know how this plays out, and we can't tell you exactly how long it's, for, how long it's going to take to play this out, exa- you know, exactly. But the conflict that we're seeing right now is going to escalate. Right? So that's Satan. He's gone around the back of the house. He's started a fire. The conflict is going to escalate. Satan's going to come around the front of the house now, and he's going to sell him a fire extinguisher. How is he going to do that? Right? Well, it's going to come through the Antichrist. That's eventually where it's going to lead to. If you're wondering where this is going to lead to, that's where it's going to lead to. Because then it's going to bring in this false sense of peace and this false sense of security to the Middle East, specifically to Israel, right? And it's going to be brought in by the Antichrist and it's satanic, right? 
So that's eventually where all this leads. And I'm not going to, you know, how long does that take? When does it happen? Who knows? I'm not going to begin to guess. But what I do know is this, our hope, true peace, true life, our salvation is only found in Christ Jesus. And that's for us. That's for the Jews. That's for the Gentiles. That's for the Palestinians. That's for Arabs. I mean, you, you name it. They need Jesus. I don't care what nation they're from. I don't care ethnicity. I don't care anything. They need Jesus. Jesus is the only answer. For your neighbors, for me, for the world, it's Jesus. And we're studying through the Gospel of John. And we're in John chapter 5. And what again right, is the theme of the Gospel of John? Well, the theme of the Gospel of John, found in John 20 verse 31, is that the Gospel of John was written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, which means the Messiah, which means the Son of God, which means God. Understand what they're talking about. This is written so you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing that you may have life in his name. That's the purpose of the Gospel of John. We're studying through the Gospel of John. It's never been more important because that's what you need to be sharing with people. Where is life? Where is hope? It's found in Jesus. Right? It's found in Jesus. And who are we studying about? We're studying about Jesus. Right? The whole purpose of this gospel is to teach you who Jesus is, who he has proudly declared he is, who the gospel of John proudly declares he is. Right? Starting at the very first verse of the very first chapter, Jesus' own words even, right? As we go through the book, as we have heard Jesus talk about who he is, as we're going to read this morning, the whole purpose of that is so that you will believe in Jesus, that he is the son of God, and you will have eternal life in his name. And that's never been more important. Never been more important. So let's read John chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 18. Actually, you know what? I'm going to back up to 16 just for context. Verse 16, and this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Verse 19. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing for whatever the father does that the son does likewise for the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. The father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. That's where we'll stop this morning. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this word. And I pray, Lord, you will work this out in our hearts. I pray, Lord, you will draw us closer to you. I pray, Lord, we will get a greater understanding in our relationship as we grow with Jesus so that we can share the truth of who Jesus is to the world. 
Because in Jesus is salvation. And it is the only way you can be saved. And the world needs Jesus. So I pray, Lord, that we can come to a greater understanding. That we can stand firm on the words of the gospel. On the words of God. And proudly declare who Jesus is. We thank you for this. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. It's of vital importance that we understand who Jesus is. Not that you have a problem with that. Not that you don't know who Jesus is, right? Who he claims to be in his own words, right? One of the biggest arguments that people like right, to talk about is that, is that they, don't, they don't want to argue that Jesus existed because there's too much historical evidence to show that Jesus existed, right? But they just want to, they just want to argue about who Jesus says he is, right? See, the world doesn't see Jesus the same way that you see Jesus, right? And maybe you don't see him as he truly is. But your life, your salvation is dependent on believing in Jesus. Today, people have some strange ideas about who Jesus is, right? Not too many years ago, I don't know if you people remember this, when we, when we were going through the book of Hebrews back when we were doing evening services at the View Church, um, we, we touched on this. They, they had this promotion, it was almost 10 years ago now, I think, but I, I could be wrong, um, where they had this, this website set up and it said, Jesus is blank, yeah. right? And then you could go in and you could fill in the blank and you could get bumper stickers, right? And you had them on your car, Jesus is blank, or Jesus is whatever you wanted to fill in there, right? So you could go to the website, you could read what people filled in, right? Jesus is a peace-loving socialist hippie. Well, that's, that's a weird description of Jesus. Jesus is basically Santa. Jesus is a storybook character. Jesus is not for real. Jesus is an excuse to be arrogant. Jesus is a joke. Jesus is my imaginary friend. Jesus is irrelevant. Jesus is a myth. Jesus is dead. Right? These were what people were filling in concerning Jesus. I heard one yesterday. Jesus is a displaced Palestinian. Someone doesn't know their history very well. Now, obviously, some of the statements that people put in there were strictly as jokes. They were trying to, you know, make something funny. But the point of that is, the truth of that is, is that people today don't have a clear understanding of who Jesus is. They have a false picture of who he is. They've been believing lies. It doesn't, you know, who, the, who you come up in and you explain why you believe in Jesus and, they, and they'll just immediately go find something that supports their, their truth, which is, you know, what they want to believe in Jesus. And they'll show you, well, here, so-and-so said this 20 years ago about who Jesus, this is what I believe. Well, have you ever, have you ever researched that? Have you ever looked into that to see if that's true? I mean, that, that person made this claim about Jesus. Do you know if that, what, does that claim even hold up? I mean, have you ever looked into it? No, I just take him at his word. You'll take this unknown person <laughs> who said some sort of rhetoric or lie about Jesus, you'll take him at his word and you won't even look into it yourself. Why don't you take Jesus at his word? Right, if you're going to take that guy at his word, why don't you look into what Jesus said himself and take him at his word? Right? People have been believing lies. Like I said, most people don't debate Jesus existed, that he walked the earth. Right? They just debate who he is, who he said he is. Is Jesus God? That's what they debate. That's where the problem lies. Is Jesus God? When you have quote-unquote Christian religions, 
that claim that, that Jesus is a God, right? Or things like that, that Jesus is a created being. Then you have this conflict because they're getting mixed messages from different things. Well, you say Jesus is God and they say Jesus is a God. And, you know, I think he's just a really cool teacher or whatever, right? Well, Jesus, you know, it's, it's like when we talk about the rapture. Well, the word rapture is not in the Bible, right? Well, it is if you read the Latin Bible, right? It's rapturo. And so they'll, they'll use that for an argument. Well, rapture didn't, isn't, isn't going to happen or the rapture's you know, whatever. They'll say the same thing about, well, Jesus never said he was God, right? So what they mean is, well, there's, never, there's not any red words in my gospel where Jesus says, I am God. Okay, fine. But Jesus said he was God so many times, right? It fills a Bible. He said it many times. And the reason I'm kind of talking about this this morning is because that's what Jesus is talking about today. Well, we're going to go over here for the next two weeks, which today I call, you know, equal with God. But really, it's, it, you could call this, you know, like father, like son, part one. Because it's going to be, you know, the, we'll finish this off and it'll be like father, like son, part two. Because that's what Jesus is talking about. But Jesus is saying he's equal with God. Which Jesus is saying, well, he's God. Right? So they'll say, well, Jesus never said that. So, I mean, if we just look at what we've already learned in the gospel, we're only in chapter five. If we just look at what we've already learned in the gospel of John, we can see these declarations, right? John, who wrote, you know, the gospel, he says right at the beginning, Jesus is the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Who is he saying that about? Jesus, right? Right? He says that Jesus is life and that Jesus is light. He is the light of men. He is the true light. Jesus is the son of God. That's what, that's what, John, that's what John says right in the first chapter. Right? And John the Baptist comes in and John the Baptist says, well, Jesus is the Christ, which means he's the Messiah, which means he's the son of God. And then he calls him the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, sin of the world. And then he says, well, also he's the son of God. So, I mean, then, so John the Baptist is reiterating what John, the apostle, is saying in the gospel of John, Andrew declares that he's the Christ, the Messiah. Nathaniel calls him the son of God and the king of Israel, right? And all that's good. Those are ordinary people. And yes, they're ordinary people. They're just like you and I, but they're making extraordinary claims about Jesus. Ordinary people making extraordinary claims about Jesus. But what's really important is what Jesus says about himself, because if you want to tell me, if you, I mean, if you're going to have a discussion with someone who's like, well, Jesus never said he was God, you say, well, why don't you sit down, grab a cup of coffee, let's open up the Gospel of John, and let's start in chapter 1 and go through it, and, and we'll talk about whether or not Jesus said he was God. Let's see what Jesus said about himself, right? The first way that Jesus refers to himself in the Gospel of John is at the end of chapter 1. It's verse 51, and he calls himself the Son of Man. He also says it in chapter 3 two times. Son of man is Jesus' favorite title for himself. It's used over 80 times in the New Testament. And I think, you, someone can do the research on this and double check me. I think the only time it's ever used by someone other than Jesus, referring to himself, is when Stephen calls Jesus the son of man as he's being martyred in Acts chapter 7. Otherwise, all the other references are from Jesus. 
And you're like, well, son of man, aren't we all technically, you know, sons and daughters of men? What's, I mean, I mean, you can find the phrase in the Bible used in a reference like that when it's not referring to God or not referring to Jesus or the Messiah. What's the big deal? Well, what's Jesus referencing? Well, he's referencing scripture. What scripture is Jesus referencing? The book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, to be specific. In this, Daniel has this vision. And he says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. Who is he referring to? He's referring to Jesus. And he refers to him as the Son of Man. Well, Jesus knew this. Jesus knew Scripture. And Jesus picked out this title. And he said... I like this one. I don't know exactly what he said, but you know, he picked that out and he decided, I'm going to use the Son of Man over 80 times in the New Testament. refers to himself as the Son of Man. It's a hefty declaration right from the mouth of Jesus about himself, right? I have to get something to drink because my throat is tickling me. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He refers to himself as the Son of Man. He also refers to himself as the Son of God. Right? I mean, he, I mean, he, he refers to the temple as his father's house. That wasn't lost on the Jews when he said comments like that. I mean, John 3.16, one of the most, if not the most quoted verse in all of the Bible. I mean, how often do we remember that that's Jesus' own words? <coughs> that's not just a platitude that's, you know, written by one of the apostles or, or anything like that. That's Jesus' own words. He said in that, that God so loved the world that he sent his only son. And who's he referring to? He's referring to himself. He's calling himself the son of God. That's Jesus' own words, right? So Jesus is fully God, and Jesus is fully man, and he is the son of God, and he is the son of man. He's deserving of both titles, right? Matter of fact, if you notice, in John chapter 3, when he refers to himself as the son of God, he says he is the only son of God. That's important, because that means he doesn't have a brother right? He is the only son of God. He doesn't have a brother. There, is, there are no other children, right? It is just him. There is only one. It's Jesus. And in John chapter four, of course, he refers to himself at the woman at the well as he refers to himself as the Messiah, right? She says, well, the Messiah is going to come one day and explain all this to us because I really don't truly understand all these things. And Jesus says, well, the one you speak of is right here. I am he. I'm the Messiah. Right, I who speak to you am He. I mean, are you seeing the picture when we go through all these things of what just what Jesus said Himself about Himself? 
So this morning, what we're, when we, we read those verses that we read, this is Jesus defending himself against the, the Jews or the religious leaders, probably the Sanhedrin, more than likely, because they were the you know, religious police. And they often had to go through, oh, what did you say? What did you do? Does this line up? You know, that was kind of their job. So Jesus is defending himself. He's answering his accusers, basically, because what did he do? He healed a man on the Sabbath, and he told that man to take up his bed and walk. And verse 16 tells us, if we go back to verse 16, it said, and this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath, right? Jesus stirred up the waters on the Sabbath. Right, but it wasn't just a Sabbath. Understand, Jesus did a lot of things on the Sabbath that the religious leaders don't like. I mean, I think he purposefully did things on the Sabbath, knowing that the religious leaders weren't going to like him. Because why? Because the Son of Man was the Lord of the Sabbath. One of the things that Jesus did in the Sabbath, and you don't see this in the Gospel of John, but it's happened. I mean, when you chronologically put things out, try to you know, chronologically map out the Gospels together. Uh, this, is, this event has already happened at this time, but it's not recorded in the Gospel of John, but it is recorded in Luke chapter 4, and it happens in Nazareth after Jesus has already been tempted in the desert by Satan and stuff. He comes back to his hometown of Nazareth, of course, where he grew up, and he goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath, right? And it says he came to Nazareth, Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written, all right, this is Isaiah 61.1, part of 2, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he just ends it right there. He put a comma where there was no comma. It says, and he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he said, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. They did not like that. Right? They did not like that. See, the true reason why the religious leaders and the religious elite were trying to kill Jesus. I mean, they actually tried to kill him right after he said this. They go try to, I mean, it says they were filled with wrath. They wanted to throw him off a cliff. Were they, were they so mad because he read Isaiah 61, 1? And, and part of 2, technically? I mean, there were no verses, quote unquote, back then, right? No. And the reason he stopped, by the way, he didn't read the whole passage, basically, is because he'd only fulfilled the first part. The second part he'll fulfill in his second coming. So he read the first part and said, today these have been fulfilled. Well, what are those passages about? It's about the coming Messiah. What did Jesus just do? He said he was the Messiah. He said he was God. He sat back down. Today these have been fulfilled. Well, you just heard me say it. It wasn't that he read the scripture that made them all mad. It wasn't that he did that on the Sabbath or anything like that. It was the fact that who he claimed to be by reading the scripture, right? He told them that he was the anointed one, 
that he was the Messiah, which ties into verse 18 this morning, which we started with. It said, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Equal there in the Greek is the word isos, I-S-O-S, isos. And it means equal in quantity or quality. It means to be the exact same in amount and kind and in type, to be in perfect agreement with one another. Jesus is in perfect agreement with God the Father. Right? It says to be another of the same. Hebrews 1.3 tells us that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. John 14, you know, we're not there yet, but we'll get there. Jesus tells them, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Verse 18 tells us that because he was calling God his Father and making himself equal with God, that was the problem that they had. It wasn't that he healed somebody on the Sabbath. It wasn't that he told that person to take up his bed and walk. They left that person alone. If they had really been mad at that, they would have persecuted that guy. They didn't do any of that. They went after Jesus because Jesus was claiming to be equal with God. And when he's claiming to be equal with God, what is he doing? He's claiming to be God. And you're like, well, no, he didn't say, I am God. Right? Listen, declaring equality with God is declaring yourself to be God. And if you don't think so, and if you're not sure about that, let me just fast forward you really quick to John chapter 10, right? Hashtag spoiler alert. We're not there yet, but we will be. In John chapter 10, this is what Jesus says. He says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the father. For which of them are you going to stone me? And they replied, it is not for the good works that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy because you being a man, make yourself God. So whether someone wants to accept it or not, right? Like the religious leaders or the Jews or the Sanhedrin. Whether they want to accept it or not, you can't argue the fact of what Jesus said. Because they understood it clearly, which is why they were mad at him, which is why they wanted to kill him, which is why they wanted to stone him. They understand clearly what Jesus was saying. We, we like to argue the fine details and, and the actual word usage. Well, he didn't say this, and he didn't do that, and whatever. Listen, they weren't arguing that. Well, you didn't say, I am God, so maybe we'll let you go free. No, they said, you just declared yourself to be God. And they picked up stones to kill him. Right? They understood clearly what Jesus was saying, and they understood him to say that he was God. They were not confused on the matter. They didn't accept it, but they were not confused on the matter. Right? They considered the blasphemy. This is why they wanted to kill him. So Jesus, in his own words, told them that he and the Father are one. That's not all he says. 
So this morning, what did we read? He says, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing and greater works than these he will show him so that you may marvel. He says, what the father does, the son does. Right? We work together. You could say we work in tandem. Right? I don't work independent of God the father. I work with God the father. I do what he does. Right? I do nothing of my own accord, he says. He's not working independent of God the Father. Well, I know you, you want me to do that, God, but I'm going to go over here and do this because I think it's a better choice. That was a good idea, but I got my own ideas. It's not that at all. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did he say? Not my will, but yours be done. Right? He was obedient to God the Father. In John chapter 4, when he was talking to his disciples, what did he tell them? My food is doing the will of him who sent me. What do you do? I'm doing the will of him who sent me. I'm doing the work of my father. I don't work independent. I don't do anything on my own accord. What the father does, I do. We're equal. I'm God. It says in verse 21, and he goes on and he says this, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. It's another thing he does. What do you do? I give life. The Father gives life. He raises the dead. I can do that as well. And then, very important, right after that he says, the father judges no one but has given all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Pay attention. All judgment's been given to the son. You're going to be judged by Jesus. For us in Christ, we have uh, the Bema Seat judgment. It's not a, a salvation thing, right? Your sal salvation is secure in Jesus. But when you get there, Jesus is going to be like, all right, let's go over all the works that you did for me. That's the Bema Seat judgment, right? In Corinthians, it tells us they're all going to be tested by fire. And I had a pastor who always used to say, we're all going to be getting into heaven. Some of us are going to smell more like smoke than others. Right? It just depends on how our works were for Jesus. That's the Bema Seat judgment. But then there's the, the, the white throne judgment. But the white throne judgment isn't for believers. The white throne judgment is for unbelievers. And you don't want to be in that line. Because that's right to the lake of fire. Because your name's not written in the Lamb's book of life. And that's Jesus. Jesus is doing that. There's also the sheep and the goats. And I'm not going to get into it right now. That's a whole different thing concerning believers and the tribulation and stuff. Right? But why has he given him judgment? Well, it tells us, so that you will honor him. So that you will honor him just at, and then honor the Father. Because if you don't honor the Son, guess what? You're not honoring the Father. What, 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 does, you know, what does that mean? It's really simple. What it means is that they're united and equal. They're one. And you can't offend one and not offend the other. You can't regard one and disregard the other. It's not possible because they're one. 
those who say, oh, I believe in God. I'm just not sure about that Jesus fella is, is not honoring Jesus, therefore not honoring the Father. You can't say that you believe in God and disregard Jesus. It's not possible. Because if you disregard Jesus, you're disregarding the Son. You're not honoring him. Therefore, you're not honoring the Father. Because they're one. They're one in purpose. They're one in power. They're one in judgment. Even John the Baptist says that Jesus is going to judge. We're going to talk more about judgment part two when we get into this. But understand, Jesus is fair and he's just and his judgment is perfect. Right? It's perfect in righteousness. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus has all the authority. Here's the thing. About what we read, about what we're going over, about what Jesus says about himself. He wants you to clearly understand who he is. It's very important. It's very important because of what it says right there at the end. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. That's why it's so important. And we can argue till we're blue in the face with people concerning God's word, concerning who Jesus is or what Jesus said, or if Jesus ever said this, or Jesus never said this, or whatever. But Jesus clearly said, he clearly stated, he clearly declared who he was. And he says, it just comes down to you to make a choice to believe it or not. Right? C.S. Lewis has this famous quote. It's from Mere Christianity, and we've quoted a lot, so you've probably heard it. But it starts like this. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. Right? Which is, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open for us. He did not intend to. But that's exactly what the world wants to argue. Well, he was a great guy. More people should be like Jesus. Well, I don't disagree with that statement. More people should be like Jesus. But do you believe what he said about himself? Do you believe who he is? Do you believe that Jesus is the son of God? Do you believe that salvation only comes through Christ Jesus? The only way to the father is through Christ Jesus. Do you want to go to heaven when you die? Yes, I do. Do you know that you can only do that through Jesus Christ? Well, no, there's other ways. No, there isn't. It's only through Jesus. Who said that? Jesus did. Well, you just said he was a good teacher and that's what he taught. So... You know, do you want to accept that or not? Well, listen, 
Jesus never intended for us to think of him as just a great teacher or a rabbi. There's been a lot of great teachers and rabbis over time, right? He's not our best buddy, right? Uh, buddy Christ. You probably never saw that movie, Dogma from Kevin Smith. He has that little bobbing head Jesus that sits on the, the front of his van or whatever and bobs along as he drives. He calls him Buddy Christ, right? He's, he's not your best buddy. I mean, he, he, he loves you, but he's your Lord and King. Right? Jesus didn't make th- those claims that he was just a great teacher. Right? He claimed he was God. And that is a big statement. And it's true. It's 100% true. Yet when we look at it, we think, man, that's an extraordinary claim. Lots of people have claimed to be Jesus. There are a bunch of false teachers out there, heretics such as Kenneth Copeland and Stephen Furtick, who, who claim that in Christ they are God Almighty. Right? That they can become God, of course. And of course there's a religion such as Mormonism that claims that you can become a God but they're just talking out their butt, to put it mildly, right? They can't back it up. Not at all. Not one. Not one person, mind you, will ever become God. That's a demonic teaching, right? Teaching that Jesus became a God, right, such as the Mormons teach, is a demonic teaching. Jesus didn't become God. Didn't, Jesus didn't achieve Godhood. Jesus isn't an angel. He wasn't a created being who worked his way up the ladder until one day, yippee, I'm God. Right? Making the think that we can achieve that somehow ourselves. We can't do that. We're not going to become God. He's existed for eternity. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the first and the last. He who is and who was and who is to come, right? He is the Almighty. He is the eternal God. That's Jesus. Colossians 2.9 says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And we look at those things and we say, man, those are extraordinary claims. And they are. We're ordinary people making extraordinary claims about Jesus. Because his word is extraordinary, right? Is extraordinary. He is extraordinary. And we can make those claims because we have seen them come true in our lives. And our lives testify to that. Jesus made extraordinary claims, but guess what? Jesus supplied extraordinary evidence, right? It's Carl Sagan who said, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Well, guess what? Jesus made extraordinary claims and he provided extraordinary evidence right? through his work, through his miracles, through his death and his resurrection. They're mad because he claimed to be equal with God. They're mad because he claims to be God. But remember this, it tells us in Philippians, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Those are the extraordinary evidence. That's the extraordinary evidence that he backed up his claims with, right? What are the claims that we make in the name of Jesus? 
The claims that we make are that hope is found in Christ Jesus, that peace and joy are found in Christ Jesus, that forgiveness is found in Christ Jesus, that true life is found in Jesus. We make those extraordinary claims that Jesus died and rose again on the third day, that eternal life is found in Christ Jesus. We make those claims. And we do it because just like it said at the end of of what we read today in chapter 24, because whoever hears... Jesus says this, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. That's why we make those claims. So that we can point people to Jesus. Point people to eternal life in Christ Jesus. It tells us also in Luke 9, these are also Jesus' words. He said this himself. He says, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. I says, if you don't take me at my word, when I return, I will be ashamed of you. Right? It tells us in Romans 1.16, it says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to also the Greek to everyone who believes. We're living in a world today that needs Jesus. We're living in a world today where people need to put their faith in Jesus and they just need to hear his words and believe them. But they want to believe so much other stuff. And there's a lot of stuff to confuse the picture, trust me. Because lies are being thrown out there left and right over everything about everything. But they just need to believe in the words of Jesus. Jesus is God, and he is salvation for everyone who believes. And we should not be ashamed of that extraordinary message, and we should not be ashamed of believing that extraordinary message, and we should not be ashamed of sharing that extraordinary message. Amen?